Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday. We are gathered here today because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary, frickin' garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others, so thank you so much for submitting. Now, unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record, this is unscripted, and I don't read the articles past the headlines so you and I can react together. So let's go. Okay, our first article comes from PenLive.com, and the title reads, Central Pennsylvania mother charged after police find kids and deceased father in rat-infested home. So an Adams County woman was charged Monday after police responded to her home for a reported death and found two children and their deceased father in a, quote, deplorable rat-infested home. State police in Gettysburg were sent to the 120 block of West King Street in Littlestown Borough on November 2nd for a reported death. When officers arrived at the home around 4.30 p.m., they spoke to Kayla Marie Little, who lived in the home with her two children, ages 5 and 9, and her husband, according to the affidavit. So Little identified her deceased husband to troopers and said she had left the house around 8.30 a.m. to take the kids to school and then came home to find her husband dead. Now, wait a minute. 8.30 a.m., Officers arrived at the home at 4.30 p.m.? Interesting. Okay. Little gave troopers permission to enter the home where they found trash, holes in the ceiling, and rats everywhere, including crawling on the man's body and in the children's room. Police found the deceased man in the bathroom, which had fecal matter on the walls and toilet, the affidavit says. The children's bedroom was connected to the bathroom where the man was found dead, the affidavit says. It did not list the man's cause of death, but the Adams County Coroner's Office told Fox 43 he died from natural causes. Little is charged with one felony and one misdemeanor count of endangering the welfare of children, parent, guardian, other commits offense. Her preliminary hearing is scheduled for November 22nd. It's now the 26th, so, uh, okay. I don't understand. Like, you need to just clean your house, you know? How hard is it to just clean your house? Like, I have depression and anxiety, and yet I'm, you know, I force myself to clean my house. I digress. Our next article comes from Insider.com Business Insider. Title reads... Quote, escaping twin flames, producer says twin flames universe founder Jeff Ayan or Ian is just like Nexium cult leader Keith Rainier in so many ways. So it says there's some bullet points here that says Cecilia Peck and Inball Lesnar are the producer and director behind the Netflix doc Escaping Twin Flames. So obviously I need to check that out. The pair previously made, quote, Seduced, a documentary about disgraced cult leader Keith Rainier and his group Nexium, or N-X-I-V-M, which I have done a podcast on, by the way. Peck and Lesnar say there's little difference between Twin Flames Universe leader Jeff and Rainier. 
So director Cecilia Peck and producer Inbal, I-N-B-A-L, Lesnar, they know cults. They've been following high-control groups, most notably Nexium and Twin Flames Universe, for the better part of a decade, and their diligence has resulted in two of the most captivating documentaries of the last few years. In 2020, the director-producing pair released, quote, Seduced, Inside the Nexium Cult, a four-part series Telling the story of Nexium and its leader, Keith Renier, I can't remember how to pronounce that, who was found guilty on charges of sex trafficking, wire fraud conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, and racketeering, which included production and possession of child pornography, and sentenced to 120 years in prison, where he fucking should be. This month, Peck and Lesnar's latest project, Escaping Twin Flames, about the, quote, romance attraction cult of Jeff and Shalia Ian hit Netflix. They, who now go by Jeff and Shalia Divine, run Twin Flames Universe, a 43,000-strong Facebook group and online community offering classes and one-on-one sessions aimed at finding your one true love for a price. They say they're simply helping people connect with their true twin flame or soulmate. But former members of TFU allege the group engaged in abusive and cult-like behavior, including coercing members into working for free, pressuring members to change genders, what, and operating a multi-level marketing scheme. Through their website, Jeff and Shalia deny all allegations made against them, including accusations that they wielded, quote, inappropriate control over their members. Despite not participating in the documentary, it appears the Ions were familiar with Peck and Lesnar's work. In one pivotal moment in Escaping Twin Flames, former TFU member Keely Griffin recounts Jeff forcing her to watch Seduced and having her write an essay on how much he wasn't like the cult leader from Nexium. Quote, Every point that we were coming across when we were doing this research was pointing to the fact that he was, in fact, a cult leader and that made him very angry, Griffin says in the doc. It's Lesnar's favorite moment in the series. Quote, it's incredible to see that our work really has an impact already, that Keeley watched Seduced, and that was the beginning of her awakening and waking up to understand that Jeff was just like Keith in so many ways, Lesnar tells Business Insider. The fact that he assigned her to watch this movie is bonkers, but it's poetic justice, perhaps. Having his followers watch Seduced, says Peck, quote, is a sign of his kind of malignant narcissism and his delusions, end quote. It's also proof that Jeff was at least aware of Keith and Nexium and familiar with his methods of coercive control. While Keith was selling personal development programs and Ian is selling Twin Flame Connection, both Nexium and Twin Flames are, quote, the very typical common elements of high-control groups or cults, which are excessive devotion to a leader where no questioning or criticism is tolerated and disdain for people who are not members of the group, Peck says. They were exactly the same down to some of the exercises and teachings that were used in both. 
So I wonder if the Twin Flames people just paid attention to the Nexium group. Neither high control group, Lesnar says, has a particularly original approach. Quote, they're an amalgam, a hybrid of other psychological tools and other cult tools that they both learned and found and adopted, co-opted to their respective groups. End quote. Both Nexium and Twin Flames employed self-critical exercises to break members down and get them questioning their sense of self. In TFU, that's Twin Flames Universe, members are taught the mirror exercise, which is a form of self-talk in which people are told to take criticism of others and place it back on themselves. The aim for both is to break people down and make them believe they need the group to feel whole. The narrative becomes about what's wrong with me and how many expensive classes and coaching sessions do I need to purchase to fix myself. So the groups flourish because of a potent combination of charismatic leader and constant message reinforcement. Quote, what some people may lose when watching the series is these things that Jeff is saying that seem so outrageous, same as with Keith, are not said on their own, Lesnar says. They've not said, they're not said in a vacuum. These members were encouraged to watch these 90-minute lessons or classes every day. Another word for it, really, is grooming, says Peck, and I agree with that. Both Peck and Lesnar urge viewers to watch Escaping Twin Flames with compassion for current and former members of TFU. And side note, yes, I definitely think that we need to tread softly and kindly with people that are trying to deprogram out of cults because, you know, they didn't get in there in one day. It's not going to take one day to get them out, you know. Quote, it's easy for the viewer to say, oh, I would never believe this, Lesnar says, but... There's an intentional technique there of breaking down your boundaries and making you accept things that are unacceptable, end quote. So Escaping Twin Flames is out now on Netflix. I've not seen it, so I don't know that I can vouch for it, but I'm sure it's probably quite, quite good. Our next article comes from nypost.com or the New York Post, and the title reads, Missing Mom of Four Found Dead in Estranged Husband's Storage Unit, says the cops. So a Florida, looking at Florida, mother of four, who had been missing for a week, was discovered shot dead inside a storage unit belonging to her estranged husband, a convicted killer, FYI, who is now considered the prime suspect in her murder, authorities said. The decomposing body of Shakira Rucker, 37, was recovered Saturday at the self-storage facility on Wiggins Road in Apopka, the Orange County Sheriff's Office announced in a press release. The woman's death is being investigated as a homicide. Well, no shit. Quote, my heart breaks. I can't imagine the pain and suffering her family have been enduring this past week, Sheriff John Mina said during a press conference Sunday. Quote, we're all hoping for a different outcome. We were all hoping for a different outcome, my bad. The grim find came after an intense search across four counties that involved officers from multiple law enforcement agencies assisted by the FBI working 16 to 18 hour days to track down the missing mom, officials said. 
Quote, it's not the outcome we expected, but there's a little bit of closure for Shakira's family, Winter Springs Police Chief Matthew Tract said Sunday. Deputies had just wrapped up a search for Rucker in Mount Dora Saturday afternoon when they received a call from someone reporting, quote, a smell emanating from one of the units at the self-storage in Apopoca, Mina said. Rucker appeared to have been shot multiple times inside the storage unit, Mina said, adding that a full autopsy will be performed to determine the exact cause of death. Corey Hill, 51, Rucker's estranged husband, is the sole suspect and will eventually be charged with her murder. The man has not been cooperative with the investigation, and the unit where Rucker was found dead was registered to him. I mean, really, do they need... I mean, innocent till proven guilty, blah, 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 allegedly. But, like, we all know he did it. Quote, Corey Hill could have stopped a lot of that pain and suffering by talking to investigators in the very beginning instead of putting them through this week-long nightmare, the sheriff said. The storage unit was registered to him. He had to have known that we would eventually find her in there. So it's very, very disappointing. Rutger was last seen on the night of November 11th with Hill in a restaurant in Polk County. And then there's like a security picture, so it's kind of grainy and fuzzy, but they're together. Um, uh, It almost seems like she's not, she kind of looks like she's not particularly happy to be walking beside him, but, you know, I'm just, that's just speculation. Her family said they last heard from the woman when she told them she was going to pick up food. Last week, cops released a surveillance photo of Rucker and Hill together at the restaurant and named the 51-year-old man a person of interest in the woman's disappearance. Just hours after Rucker's last known sighting, Hill allegedly went to the home of his ex-girlfriend, Angel Milligan, and opened fire. Quote, I heard gunfire. I felt two of them pass by my face, went running in fear for my life, Milligan told WESH. Milligan and her family said Hill was upset that she had called his estranged wife Rucker. She also claimed that the man threatened her by saying, don't run now, I'm going to kill you. Following the shooting, Hill was booked into the Orange County Jail on four counts of attempted murder. He was already in custody for that when Rucker's body was found. Hill's criminal record includes a previous murder conviction stemming from a 1992 shooting in Virginia that killed the man who had stolen Hill's car with his baby daughter inside. Well, see, now that's that gray area, right? Someone steals your vehicle with your child inside. I mean, have you guys, side note, obviously, but have you guys seen sort of the the TikTok or the reel or whatever, the meme where all these new moms are, they ask these new moms, would you kill for your child? And they're like, no, no, no. John Wick right here. I will John Wick somebody again. So Hill was sentenced to 20 years in prison and was released in 2005. According to court records, he moved to Orlando in 2016. And that's the end of that article. Well, I'm sure he killed her. I'm sure that he did. Innocent till proven guilty, right? Okay. So our next article is also from the NewYorkPost.com. Title reads, Cops believe torso found on New York City beach may be vanished Irish filmmaker, says sources. This is news to me. 
So police believe the human torso found on a Queens beach may be the corpse of acclaimed Irish filmmaker and photographer Ross McDonnell, who vanished more than a week ago. Sources told the Post. Authorities are waiting for DNA test results to come back before they make an official announcement or pronouncement. Law enforcement sources said. But cops think McDonald, a 44-year-old Emmy winner whose bike was found locked up at Fort Tilden Beach on November 7th, may have drowned in the churning waters, then had his body ravaged by some natural phenomena before it washed up on Breezy Point Beach Friday, sources said. McDonald was last seen leaving his T-A-A-F-F-E, Taffy, place home in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, at about 8.30 p.m. on November 4th, according to the NYPD. He may have been at Fort Tilden Beach later that night or early the next morning, according to a missing persons flyer that had been making the rounds. Gene Gallerano, the filmmaker's close friend, told the Irish Times that it seemed like his pal went into the ocean, then suddenly disappeared. And here's a picture of him. He's just cute as a button looked like a super happy guy. Quote, he was last seen on Saturday night. The alarm was sounded on Sunday. We don't know much more than that. It's been a very, very emotionally heavy week, Gallerano said. McDonald's bike was found at the beach three days later. At around noon on Friday, cops got a 911 call that said a human torso with its legs still attached was lying on the sand at the popular beach in southern Queens, police said. Authorities could not immediately say how the person had died or even how old they were and what gender they appeared to be. So are they not saying that or they're just not or they just really couldn't tell? Like how ravaged of is this torso? You know what I'm saying? Like with the legs still attached? One would think that the gender would be pretty obvious, but, you know, you can't can't touch that word in, in this day and age, am I right? So investigators have been seeking to track down McDonald's red puffy North Face vest, black and white sneakers, dark colored khaki pants, and black North Face backpack as they search for clues about his disappearance. McConnell, a Dublin native who often travels abroad, took home an Emmy in 2021 for his cinematography work on the Showtime series The Trade, which I have not seen, so I don't know. His debut feature film, Colony, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival and won the IDFA First Feature Award as well as an Irish Film and Television Award nomination, according to an online bio. He was also shortlisted for the world's uh, prominent photography award, Pricks Picked It, during the 2019 cycle themed Hope. I, who knows? He'd been nominated for another Emmy in 2018 for directing the documentary A Lion, which was produced by CNN Films, BBC, and Jigsaw Productions. Okay, so here's my two cents, even though it's, it's not worth much. If he rode his bike to the beach, right? So we're, we're going with him, right? We're, we're riding along and he's on his bike and he's in a puffy coat and he's in pants and a shirt and he's in shoes and all of that. And he went into the ocean and then just disappeared and a torso with legs was found. I have a hard time believing, and it's, obviously it's not out of the question. It's plausible, but it seems unlikely to me that... His shoes, his socks, his pants, his shirt, his puffy coat, his backpack, and everything just 
fell off his body if he drowned in the ocean. You get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? It just seems a little fishy to me. I don't know. What do you think? So moving on, our next article comes from WTKR.com. Uh, it's a news channel. It says Hampton Roads, Northeast, North Carolina. And the title reads, Man arrested in connection to shot 17-year-old on North Broad Street in Suffolk. Suffolk, police said. I do work at trying to pronounce things correctly. So Suffolk, Virginia. The police say they have arrested a man at a seven, after a 17-year-old was shot on Thursday around 9.45 a.m. on Thanksgiving. Suffolk 911 Center got a call about a shot person in the 200 block North Broad Street, according to the police. So, fire and rescue treated a 17-year-old male at the scene and transported him to a local hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, according to the police department. The police arrested Cameron Lee Goody Gowdy, 30, in connection to the shooting, according to the police. He and the 17-year-old were in a verbal altercation before the shooting. Police say that he is charged with felony malicious wounding, that's a new one to me, felony reckless handling of a firearm, and felony shooting in public. Goody is being held without bond in Western Tidewater Regional Jail. So anyone with any information about this incident should contact the Suffolk Police at the Suffolk Crime Line. Um, there's a website, they have a Facebook page, or 888-LOCK-YOU-UP, or 888-562-5887, option 5. So if you know anything about that, give them a little ring-a-ding. And then our next article comes from the same source, WTKR.com. Title reads, Confessions, Corey Bigsby, Bigsby, yep, says he found a son, Cody, unresponsive and buried him. And then it says, editors note, some details in this story may be disturbing. Reviewers, no, readers, discretion is advised. Reviewers, why can I not read today? For the first time, several confessions from Corey Bigsby, accused of murder in the death of his four-year-old son, Cody, were revealed in a court hearing. Cody was reported missing in January of 22, and there's been no trace of him since. In court Wednesday, prosecutors revealed letters they say Corey Bigsby wrote in jail confessing to killing his son. Full confessions documents can be read in the link below. Reader discretion is advised. Okay, and I do have the documents here, so I am going to open that up, and I will make sure that I add this link into the notes in case you guys want to read it. So the first letter came on or around August 3rd of 22. Corey Bigsby wrote a statement in the Hampton Roads Regional Jail, got an officer's attention, and handed it to the officer who was present in the courtroom. The officer broke down and got emotional as he read the statement. The officer read the following excerpt from the statement Corey Bigsby wrote. So here we go. I haven't read this ahead. I don't know what it says. Quote, I stepped outside of my apartment to get some items out of my car to wash clothes. When I got inside, I saw my son laying on the ground unresponsive. I tried to revive him, but he couldn't breathe. I stepped outside and prayed. I then put him in a trash bag and left him in the car for three days. End quote. Okay. 
The letter stated he then drove his son's body to Garriott Morgan Boulevard. A quick search on Google Maps shows that's in Maryland. The statement states this is where Corey Bigsby buried Cody Bigsby and then grabbed something to eat. Because we all know that when our children have died, that we're just famished for Arby's. Am I right? Hashtag not sponsored. On the same day, August 3rd of 2022, Corey Bigsby told another officer he found Cody unresponsive at the bottom of the stairs. Then he taped Cody's ankles and wrists, placed him in a trash bag, then buried him. The defense on Wednesday argued Corey made these statements because of the way he was treated at the jail and police station. The defense said Corey was given suggestions during police questioning. Sonny Stallings, which is a criminal defense attorney of 50 years who has no connection to the case, told News 3's Jay Green this type of evidence, if admitted into trial, could sway a jury. Quote, if it's spontaneous that he, for whatever reason, gave it to the guard, then I don't, then I don't not sure how you keep it out. Uh, That is exactly how it's written, guys. Then I don't not sure how you keep it out, Stallings told Green. If they can prove that he wrote that, I don't know how he gets away from it, except to say he was insane. But without doing that, it's a confession, voluntary confession, which will probably go before the jury, end quote. On Wednesday, another jail officer testified Corey handed her a piece of paper on Christmas of 2022. It said Corey buried Cody after finding him unresponsive on January 31st, 2022. Yet another confession came in a notebook found in Corey's cell saying he hit Cody's head on the floor on June 18th, 2021, hit him with his fists, put him in a bathtub and then a fridge before burying him. Now hold on a damn second. Found him unresponsive on January 31st. Now he's saying June 18th. That's like five months difference. Stallings told Green this could be a tough case for Corey's attorneys. Quote, he would have to get on the stand to explain it. And that's when the wheels come off the wagon on cross-examination. How do you explain a written confession of what he did with the body? End quote. So another key development in the case happened at the hearing on Wednesday. A judge granted permission for Corey's six-year-old son to provide testimony during the murder trial. The judge said instead of appearing in the courtroom, the son could testify in a separate room. I like that. The son's testimony will discuss the relationship between Corey and little Cody. This could also be a tricky obstacle, Stallings said. Quote, you crossed the line between admissibility and credibility, Stallings said. In other words, are we going to let it in and take into consideration since it's a six-year-old? Are we going to keep it out? Because it's so prejudicial and so unsubstantiated. That's a pretty young age. And if the event happened when he was three or four, I have a hard time with that coming into evidence for a jury. It's just too much risk. End quote. It's been a tumultuous case since Corey's arrest in February of 22. Key developments that occurred since then include competency hearings for Corey, Hampton Circuit Court judges recusing themselves from the case, and a flurry of rescheduled court dates. Throughout the case, 
Bixby's attorney, Amina Matheny Willard, has been adamant in publicly advocating for her client. On the other hand, Hampton Commonwealth's attorney, Anton Bell, hasn't been as vocal about the case. He called the hearing, quote, a day of reckoning and a day of truth. The murder trial will take place from March 4th through March 8th of next year. The prosecution and defense declined to comment on Wednesday. The suppression hearing was set to reconvene Thursday morning. And that's the end of the article. That is insane. I don't even know what to think about that. I mean, he confessed to murdering the kid. The problem with it is, is that his confessions say that he did it on different days, different circumstances. So, you know, who knows? We'll just have to find out. And then for our last article, this one was sent to me by a listener. So thank you so very much. It comes from the BBC.com. And again, side note, any of my international listeners, please feel free to send me news articles from your country, city, state, province, whatever, because I want to make sure that we are including the whole world in this. You know, the news isn't just about the U.S. Okay, so from the BBC, title reads, Korean true crime fan murdered stranger, quote, out of curiosity. She just looks like a cute little girl. A South Korean court has given a life sentence to a true crime fan who told police she murdered a stranger, quote, out of curiosity. Young Yoo Jung, Jung Yoo Jung, 23, had been obsessed with crime shows and novels and scored highly on psychopath tests, police said. Fixated with the idea of, quote, trying out a murder, she used an app to meet an English-language teacher stabbing her to death at her home in May. The brutal killing shocked South Korea. Prosecutors had asked for the death penalty, a request typically reserved for the gravest of offenses. They told the court that she, an unemployed loner who lived with her grandfather, had looked for victims for months using an online tutoring app to find a target. She contacted more than 50 people and favored women, asking them if they conducted their lessons at home. So in May, posing as the mother of a high school student who needed English lessons, she contacted the 26-year-old victim who lived in the southeastern city of Busan. Her identity has not been disclosed by the police. Uh, Jung or Young then showed up at the tutor's house dressed in a school uniform she had bought online. After the teacher let her in, she attacked the woman, stabbing her more than 100 times, continuing the frenzied attack even after the victim had died. She then dismembered the woman's body and took a taxi ride to dump some of the remains in remote parkland near a river north of the city. She was arrested after the taxi driver tipped off police about a customer who had dumped a blood-soaked suitcase in the woods. Police said this girl's online browsing history showed she had researched for months on how to kill and how to get rid of a body. But she was also careless, police said, and took no effort to avoid CCTV cameras, which captured her entering and leaving the tutor's home several times. On Friday, a sentencing judge in the Busan District 
court said the killing had quote spread fear in society that one can become a victim for no reason and incited a general distrust among the community. This girl confessed to the crime in June, pleaded for a more lenient sentence, saying she had suffered hallucinations and other mental disorders at the time. But the court rejected her argument, as the crime had been quote carefully planned and carried out, and it is difficult to accept her claim of mental and physical disorder. End quote. And I wholeheartedly agree. She was trolling for victims online. They noted that her statements to police had frequently changed. Well, I mean, that happens, right? We know that. Initially, she said she had only moved the body after someone else killed the woman, then later claimed that the killing had occurred as a result of an argument. In the end, she confessed that her interest in committing a murder had been piqued by crime shows and TV programs. While South Korea retains the death penalty, it has not carried out an execution since 1997. That's the end of that. So I just kind of want to say, just kind of throwing it out there, that I enjoy true crime. I, it's, I really think about it every single day because, you know, I work on the podcast and I look for articles for you guys so that you can have something to listen to on the way to work or at work that is not death and destruction and politics, right? But I encourage all of you, you know, I don't know, just seems kind of simple really but could you just not murder people because you're going to be curious about what it feels like after listening to my stuff please i don't want to be all over the news for that (laughs) please and thank you but i know you guys are very well behaved at least usually so with that we have survived those of us in the states and who also celebrate thanksgiving we survived that If you tolerated your family with little to no drama, then congratulations. You get a big, beautiful gold star from Alyssa. Congrats. Those of you who didn't celebrate, that's okay. Um, You know, it is just another day after all. And those of us who um, have gone zero contact with our families, or at least most of our families, then it can be a time that's very difficult and, and lonely. But I just want you guys to know that I care about you. And when I, even when I'm celebrating a holiday with my household, just understand that I'm thinking about all of you guys too. I really am. And uh, just know that my family or the very handful of people that I see on holidays uh, very much get to hear all about you guys too. So I'm sure they love it. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. Those of you that worked the weekend, I will say this. I'll try to remember to say it every time because I want you to know that we do appreciate you working. I know not having weekends off sucks, but we do appreciate your sacrifice. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Have a good week.